This is the Sibling Library Podcast. You will know when to start listening when you hear the chimes ring like this. Let's begin now. Happy October, listeners! This is Sibling Library, the podcast where we read, share, and repeat. I'm your host for today, Megan, and I'm joined by... Julia. And Katie. And if you didn't already guess, based on the title, we are sisters. Um, So we have a fun show set up for you guys today. We are going to be focusing most of our conversation on goosebumps. I keep getting them. (laughs) (laughs) So to start off the show today, we have a game that we found on Google. Uh, It's called Halloween, Dead, Alive, or Fictional, and I've got a list of names here, and we're going to determine whether we think they are dead, alive, or fictional. Any questions? Wait, do you you also have the answers right in front of you? I don't, so Katie or Julia can be on Google duty if we're not sure about one. There are some on here that we will be certain of, and there are some on here that we will not be certain of, so. Are you guys ready? Let's give it a whirl. Yes. First name on the list, Stephen King. Alive. alive. Definitely alive, right? He hasn't. That would that would be shocking if he had. Um, next one, Morgan Freeman. I mean, alive. there's constantly <laughs> rumors that he's yeah. died, he's but I'm big, pretty sure he's still alive. Big one on social media that people do. What, are, what do they call them? Death hoaxes? Yeah. Next one, Betty White. too soon r.i.p i feel like when they made this list she probably was still alive is there a is there a date on the list no it's just a google image so yes clearly by our reactions betty white has passed away next one elvis presley passed (sighs) the king has left the building he has (laughs) katie i watched you (laughs) come up with that joke (laughs) I'm Long not quick, sigh. guys. I'm sorry, I'm not quick. <laughs> you usually are very quick-witted. <laughs> okay, well, it's 8.45 in the morning on a Saturday, so I'm a little bit... I'm not I'm not even done with my coffee yet, so you have to be patient with me. Okay, next one. Fred Willard. Fictional? I guess that would who be died? my guess, too. I have no idea who that is. Who is it? Died. You, I don't know who who is, is that your guess, oh. Julia, or you Googled it? Googling. Fred Willard, American actor. Oh, he played Phil's dad on Modern Family. Oh, and he, he did die. He died in 2020. Oh, yeah. All right, R.I.P. Yeah. Next one, Paul McCartney. Alive. Alive. Definitely alive. And still rocking. Yep. Next one, Ted Bundy. Fictional. No, oh, I'm thinking Al Bundy. Oh my god, I'm thinking Al Bundy. Uh, I He's believe not dead. fictional. I wish, I wish Ted Bundy alive. was fictional. How about that? That was definitely sure. a Halloweeny, a Halloweeny one. Yeah, I think he's dead though, right? I don't know. Or is he in prison? I don't know. I think he's dead. I'll Google. Know. Yeah, he died in 1989, so quite some time ago. Okay, next one. Hannibal Lecter. Fictional. Ah, fictional. Definitely fictional. Next one, Tom Petty. Hmm. 
He was probably still alive when this was uh, written, too. Uh, Next one, Norman Bates. Fictional. Fictional. Definitely fictional. Uh, Russell Crowe. Alive. Alive. Jackie Chan. Alive. Alive. I hope he better be alive. Katie loves him. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Uh, Peter Vinkman. I don't know who that is. Fictional. Fictional. Fictional? Is that the American Psycho? Vankman. Vankman no is spelled V-E-N-K-M-A-N. I have no idea. I'll go with fictional. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was I sh- this this is why it was stuck in the front of my brain. It's um Dr. Peter Vankman. It's the Bill Murray character from Ghostbusters. Oh. Okay. Uh next one, Macaulay Culkin. <laughs> Alive. <laughs> Alive, and I I learned something about Macaulay Culkin earlier this week. In 2018, he changed his middle name to Macaulay Culkin, so his name is now Macaulay Macaulay Culkin Culkin. I like it. One of a kind. <laughs> yep. Uh, next one, James Earl Jones. Alive. Alive. Are we sure? Yes. Is that, that's the voice of for Darth Vader? Darth, Darth Vader, Vader yeah. yeah. Okay. And Mufasa. Okay, next one, Willie Nelson. Alive. Mm-hmm. As far as I know, yeah. Uh, next one, Holden Caulfield. Fictional. Catcher in the Rye, right? Yep, fictional Catcher in the Rye. Is that what you were going to say, Joel? I was going to say crickets. <laughs> <laughs> Dad I would be read so... Ca- I haven't read Catcher in the Rye. Dad would be so <laughs> disappointed in you. You would not like it, though. Okay, we've got two more. Uh, David Bowie died. Not alive. Yeah. And last one, Regis Philbin. Aw, Reg. Did he die? Pretty sure. I think so. <laughs> Sorry. Too. I don't think. I hope he... I'm wrong. Did he? Checking. I'm pretty sure too. No, Regis died in 2020. Oh dang, 2020. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, that was fun, guys. A little. Was a little <laughs> interesting. <laughs> <sad too. laughs> I feel like we we did a pretty good job, though. We did, yeah. yeah. Most of them. There were some questionable moments in there, though, Katie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, thanks for playing along with me, you guys. I know that got a little bit sad at times, but um, I think we did pretty well overall. Are you guys ready to get into our main event? Yeah, we'd all better beware. <gasps> We're in for a scare. I got nothing. It's okay. Well, we you- finished the line. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. That was, <laughs> that, that was, that was it. <laughs> um, unless you remembered the theme song music that- and could do that. Okay. Well, that's what we were discussing earlier. I do not remember watching the show at all. I don't think I did. Which shocks me because it's did what did year it, did it start was it airing 95 like in college no, late, no we we're not in we college. were not in college it was might like have been busy with mid softball, to early though. 90s yeah. it was it was like mid to late 90s okay so mid katie to late was probably 90s. busy with softball was it on at the same time as are you afraid of the dark or did are you afraid of the dark start after are you afraid of the dark started before? It was before, because I watched Are You Afraid 90, of the Dark. No, I think nineteen ninety. It was like one of the early Nickelodeon shows. That mm-hmm. explains why I remember that being scarier. Yeah, because you were 
Little. Mm-hmm. Yeah, remember I was like, Megan, you can't watch it. It's TVY7. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, I don't care. And then after 20 minutes, I was like, I wish I had I really this. do care. <laughs> <laughs> I'm definitely sleeping with you tonight. <laughs> yep. Yeah, Katie, you definitely watched Are You Afraid of the Dark? I did. I remember watching it. I just don't remember any of the, the storylines or the episodes, really. But I definitely remember watching it. And the uh, I remember the like the intro with the, with the campfire and everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, the um, I mean, both Are You Afraid of the Dark and Goosebumps were based on like telling scary stories for kids. Um, but the Are You Afraid of the Dark was more centered around there was a group of kids called the Midnight Society that would meet at night around a campfire and tell each other. One of the members would each week would tell a ghost story and so mm-hmm. begin the beginning and the end of the show would be with the midnight society and then the middle part of the show was the ghost story with whatever guest stars they had that week very good synopsis yeah and goosebumps was just recreations of or i guess adaptations of the books yeah earl stein's series mm-hmm. is it considered a series because they're all different like stories and universes so but but it's numbered like a series so yes yeah okay and there are actually now there are even actually different series within the goosebumps world right because there's the fear street one right which is for i think that well that one's more teenagers i was specifically talking about um the kids ones there's like i think there's a whole series with like called slappy's world and there's another one with like horror land i don't know there's different there's different series that have come off of the goosebumps series i don't know megan if you did any research but do you know has rl stein written every goosebumps book or is he like a james patterson and have like ghostwriters i believe he's written every single one at least he's taking credit for every single one um i found an article not long before uh we started recording and i just wanted to read the first kind of few sentences of it uh the title of it is goosebumps author rl stein says the only lesson in my books is to run which i thought was cool that's uh, by Catherine bromwich um, she wrote, author Robert Lawrence Stein was born in Columbus, Ohio in 1943. In 1978, he started writing humor books for children under the name Jovial Bob Stein before <laughs> turning to horror. His phenomenally successful Goosebump series was adapted for TV in the 90s and inspired two films in the 2010s. He has written more than 300 books, sold more than 400 million copies, and now his teen-oriented Fear Street series about the lives of young people in the haunted town of Shadyside has inspired a Netflix film trilogy set in three different times, 1994, 1978, and 1666. So cool. saying that he's written over 300 books, I would imagine that he wrote them all. And I, I believe that because they are pretty short. Yeah, I believe yeah. it too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they, they are very quick to get through. Yeah. Which is um you know great for, for younger readers. The I read that article when you sent it over to you, Megan. I think my favorite part of it was where he talked to Stephen King. Um and there was a quote that someone said his books are the 
the literary training bra for Stephen King's books. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's that's a good description. Um, though I never graduated to Stephen King. Me neither. Um, Katie, I started Katie, you with actually, Stephen King. Yeah, so you started with <laughs> Stephen King. And, and then I don't funny. know. I don't know if you actually. I don't. Megan and I were huge into Goosebumps. You might have been a little too old, especially considering you were already Stephen King reading Stephen yeah. King. So you were a pretty high level reader so you didn't necessarily need to start with goosebumps but you read them because we were and we're like you should read this it was so good yeah and so were my peers you know uh, there was a lot of kids in my in my class that were reading them too so it was you know kind of the it was just the i don't want to call it the fad but it was you know it was the the thing that people were people were reading and talking about and um i remember them being fun and that's good that you remember it being fun because that was pretty much why he wrote them. Um, that The mm-hmm. other thing that he said in the article was um, he felt adults get the right to pick up books and read them just for fun. And he felt kids should be able to also without having to learn something while they're reading. <laughs> I loved that response, too, because someone was asking him some like looking for like some deeper meaning in some of his books and themes. He's like, yeah, there is none. Yeah, he's like, I- I'd have to reread that myself to find it. um just speaking about how like it was the thing to read goosebumps especially in like our elementary school middle school days uh i have a book called the art of goosebumps by sarah rodriguez and there is an interview with rl stein and in it she asks him she says one of the things that struck me most back in my book fair days was that both both boys and girls love to read Goosebumps. There was no gender divide there like there was for so many other properties, and your work seemed to unite the playground, if only for a little while. Was that something you set out to achieve, or is it a lucky coincidence? And he said, it came as a surprise. We thought we were writing for girls because girls like to read and boys don't. But then half the... Yeah. <laughs> But then half the mail was from boys. Goosebumps was the first series to attract both equally. And that's pretty true because we were in my class at in elementary school, we were trading them between each other, boys and girls, like everybody. Yeah. Like, which one are you on? Have you read this one? Do you have that one? Oh, the library doesn't have this one. Can I borrow this one from you? So it was like a constant wheeling and dealing to <laughs> to read all of the Goosebumps. It was like pogs. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually going to say for me I don't remember reading all, a lot of them because I think I was afraid they were too scary but I remember I used to love to look at the covers so yeah. I kind of enjoyed them almost like pogs or like pokemon cards like trying to collect them not necessarily to read them just to enjoy the cover art. Yeah. Speaking of the cover art, the um one of the original cover artists makes the rounds at local conventions and stuff and one of these days I'm going to to get him to sign something you should because i mean the covers were really what drew you in like they could be anywhere from ridiculous to disgusting to like absolutely terrifying Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like they they're they're fantastic and they they put a lot of work into them just like just like they do for like comic books like there's sketches and designs and a lot of iterations they go through like it was very intentional the way they made these covers and mm-hmm. they're still good. Yeah, mentioning that they are terrifying. The one that you read this month, Julie, what, what was it called again? The Headless Ghost. I was so afraid of the picture on that that I would not touch that book. Can you describe it? Yeah. So it is, first of all, the surrounding colors are purple and pink, which are your drew me jam. right in. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but on the cover, it's this old cobwebby wooden staircase with a candle on the wall lighting up a silvery, shimmery, see-through ghost that is carrying his head in his hand instead of having it on his neck where it should be. And yeah, like this cover, to Megan's point, scared the bejesus out of me because most of the time the Goosebumps books didn't scare me. Um, but every now and then they did. And this one horrified me. I was like, I must read it. I was the first kid in my class to read it. Everybody wanted it. I was like, sorry, my sister claimed dibs on the next reading. Which sister, me or Katie? Katie. Okay. Katie. <laughs> I was going to say, if you meant me, you really just didn't want to share it then. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I think, no I, I think, I think we bought this one new too, because I think we've talked about a couple of different episodes. We had a used bookstore that we used to go to pretty frequently, and Megan and I would scour the Goosebumps shelf to see what was used new, new used. New arrivals to the store. Newly used. (laughs) So since we're, you you mentioned that uh, that book terrified you as a child, Um, Mm -hmm. when you read it again this month, did you have any callbacks or chills to the moments that used to scare you or were you just like huh this isn't scary anymore i mean i could recognize the parts that probably freaked me out um but no they were not scary at this point really at this point and i'm wondering if you guys felt it too um i know megan one of the questions you kind of sent around for us to to think about um after we read was to describe the villain Mm-hmm. Um and I have to say there really was no like definitive villain in this book um but I'm assigning it to the two lead characters hmm. because and and I would be curious to read more or at least hear what happened in your books um they were little turds <laughs> I was going to ask you guys if that for for someone who writes for children's for children he does not seem to have a very high opinion of them (laughs) they are snotty like they are running around they call themselves the twin terrors they run around in the middle of the night and they twins they're not twins it's a boy and a girl best friends um they run around in the middle of the night they like peek into people's windows with like scary masks on and scare people or they like howl like werewolves like they're just running around scaring Anybody they can scare in the town. Are they're they just real snotty? Are they better mm-hmm. or worse than Greg Heffley? I was gonna say, <laughs> this is dire of a wimpy kid. <sighs> I know. I, that's actually what I was gonna say. Like, they're not nice. Um, at the end, there is a better resolution where they've kind of like seen the error of their ways. But leading up to it, like they're just like snotty. Like, oh, we're gonna, we're just gonna do whatever we want and scare everybody. That was yeah. Do we think that has something to do with the times or do we think that he just it at the time we were reading this as kids, like we were surrounded by kids like that and it was just kids being kids. So it didn't affect I... us in that way. Or do you think it's like, is is this an accurate depiction by him? And it's just that we have matured and we treat each other better than we did as kids or like, what what do you guys think about that? I think think it's more um a sign of the times because like the 90s where you're stereotypical you were either a nerd or a jock like there was really no in between like that's how kids were depicted in in most books or shows um 
yeah, there was like cause that. That's just it was the stereotype, and I think there's a lot more representation now for just all kinds of different types of personalities and people and. Um, I think I think that's what we're more used to now. So going back to the 90s, you can definitely see some very dated. Um, that's not to say it can't be enjoyable, but very dated and old fashioned kind of viewpoints. And I'd be curious to read to see like what from the 90s because it's still going. I'd be curious to read one from like the very beginning of the series to what's being published today like if there is any kind of um change in how the kids are talked about and i did watch the goosebumps episode for the headless ghost i don't think we we kind of decided that there was not an episode um created for all three of the books that we read and i yeah. katie if you found out why there is not one for yours once we get there i would really be interested really to hear yeah. what the mm -hmm. reason is because yours is the first of a three-parter basically and uh, um, and like the most iconic yeah goosebumps villain but before we move on i just i do want to note um the book that i read the haunted school the main character is a sweetheart um okay. i i could i could see in that because he's going to be in a school setting with the nerds and the bullies so that yeah, i mean there are bullies be. in it but yeah. it's not the main character so it was just this particular book and possibly katie's and i'm sure others that they're the kids were just not like i didn't just i didn't want to just root for them <laughs> mm. <laughs> no. all right well um since we kind of started talking about slappy and the rl stein villain um we I didn't really have a specific villain in mind either, but there was uh, like a tribe of children, basically, <laughs> who were creepy and were trying to keep the main character from getting where he wanted to go. So I guess technically they would be the villain, but it wasn't like one iconic monster. Um, so Katie, why don't you talk about your book and tell us what made Slappy scary? Well... First of all, actually, he's a ventriloquist dummy. Uh, and that's a, that's enough for me to make him scary. So Megan yeah. doesn't like dolls. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, so I read Night of the Living Dummy, uh, which, as Julia mentioned, is the first in a, I think, three or four part series and maybe has gone even further than that in the, the R.L. Stein universe. I think but it has, actually, because at the beginning of my book, there's like a list of books and one of them is... Like, there's the list Goosebumps Most Wanted and gives a list of 10 books. And then there's Goosebumps Slappy World. And the, it goes mm -hmm. number one to number 11. And Night of the Living Dummy isn't actually listed on here. So there must be even more than that. Yeah. I don't know. And I'm not sure if Slappy's World is if he's in, like, all of those books or if it's kind of like a, oh, what's that show called? A Crypt. What was that show? Tales from the Crypt. Tales from the Crypt. Kind of like that with, like, he's, like, that that crypt keeper character kind of like a okay, so kind of like, like guiding MC, the universe like yeah. a twilight zone but i yeah so i don't i don't know if he's just kind of like like the Figurehead host maybe yeah. um well i'm sure if he is a host he goes out of his way him. to be creepy oh for sure <laughs> yeah so actually in in the first installment of all of this slappy is not actually the villain 
Ooh, it is a twist. completely other dummy called Mr. Wood, which is super original. <laughs> oh man, what the eighth grade boys would do with that. <laughs> Mr. Wood, yes. So it, the way that that happens is that, um, so the two, uh, I guess you'd call them protagonists, even though they're they're also little turds in, in my book, um, are twin sisters named Chris and Lindy, and they stumble upon a um, an old ventriloquist dummy in a dumpster that Lindy decides she's going to to take home and, and takes an interest in and learns ventriloquism and starts doing this act and is getting all this attention. So Chris is super jealous of it and um, you know not uh, n- not happy for her sister at all. She's just wanting to get some of the attention and they're just having this rivalry with each other. Um, so their parents uh, go to a pawn shop and find Mr. Wood and buy him for Chris. Um, Chris finds a uh, a piece of paper in the pocket of Mr. Wood's costume that has this very, um, very strange language written on it. And she says the words out loud, which brings Mr. Wood to life, but only when he knows it's safe to do mischief. So he he starts creating all this havoc and everybody thinks that it's Chris doing it. Um, so he's the villain and um, what makes him scary and I think what makes that idea scary in general is that it's the idea that it's this inanimate object that is supposed to be kind of a safe, fun thing that brings laughter and then all of a sudden it has its own, its own, um, its own will, its own um, sentience and just has its own agenda and it's it's not a nice one it's very evil like he he's, he starts calling chris and lindy his slaves and that he's going to ruin their lives and he's threatening them and he's threatening the people they love and he bites them and he, there's all yeah and there's this this oh okay so then to explain why i found out they did not do this as an episode in goosebumps i found this on a youtube clip and it was uh the cre- credit goes to Goosebumps, I think it was Goosebumps Aussie fan. So it's a um, gentleman in Australia who's a, a Goosebumps fan. He or he has all of these videos. And one, <clears throat> one of the videos is, what's the real reason we never got a Night of the Living Dummy 1? But there's a Night of... They, they did the other ones in the series. They did Night of the Living Dummy 2, Night of the Living Dummy 3. But that's probably why people don't know about Mr. Wood, because Mr. Wood gets killed, and spo- spoiler alert, in the first one. By Slappy? By slapping? No. No. He gets steamrolled, which was also kind of traumatic because he was a steamroller. No, by a steamroller. God. (laughs) A literal steamroller with the big cement. I vaguely remember that. I vaguely remember that. (laughs) But it was that that part of that was actually one of the scariest moments for me because um, the girls had like chased him out in front of the steamroller and the steamroller runs it over. And the guy driving it, it like jumps off. He was like, oh, my God, I thought that was a kid. And my heart just like stopped because for that character because he thought he had just killed a child. <laughs> it was kind of traumatic. Yeah. Um, but it was for uh, – so the guy that did the research was like – he found like two very cr- – um, short brief statements about it like there's all these theories that there, it's a it's a lost episode and that it was recorded somewhere and never aired which is as far as anyone knows isn't the case 
It's just that they sat down to outline the the show, like as they were creating the the first season, and they were looking at the story, and they're like, "Yeah, this won't work. Let's go do the next one." But then they made the second and third ones, and like that's the that's the whole reason. Like they looked at the story, and they're like, "Yeah, we can't do this." Um, and but I like think Slappy of- Slappy is in it, right? Slappy is in it. Slappy's the the one that gets found in the dumpster, and mm. um and starts starts this whole thing. Um, Mr. Wood is the one that comes to life, but when Mr. Wood gets killed, his life flows into Slappy, and then Slappy. Okay. Th- that's like the cliffhanger at the end. All of a sudden, Slappy's alive, and they stop. They Megan, end it there. Your eyes. <laughs> <laughs> You're like I'm gonna be thinking about that, trying to go to sleep tonight. <laughs> yep, pretty much. Sorry, Meg. So, uh, well, Julia, I'll, I'll traumatize you now because I think the real scene why they they couldn't do it was because um, Chris, Mr. Wood has started doing weird things, but Chris wants to. She gets asked to do this um, presentation, like at an, a school assembly, uh, with Mr. Wood and do her act with him, and he just starts coming to life on his own. They think she's doing this, and he vomits green vile rotten egg smelling vomit all over the auditorium it's just like projectile over all the kids over all the teachers um and i think between that and the steamrolling scene they're like yeah we don't have the budget for this (laughs) budget yeah i was gonna say um like that would totally not have phased like kids of the 90s growing up with nickelodeon slime slime. slime yep so the whole slime scene that you just mentioned, kind of that that was similar to the scariest scene in my book. And we're kind of talking right now about what R.L. Stein did to make his books scary. There, so my book, the main character just moved to a new town and um, is trying to make friends. So he joins the decorations committee for the school dance, and he has to go get some red paint, and he gets lost in the school basically. And the next day, he he gets found, but the next day he goes to class and he starts hearing these voices, almost like Harry Potter in the Chamber of Secrets hears the basilisk going through the pipes. Um, But he's the only one that can... Spoiler. Sorry. For for Harry (laughs) Potter or for this book? Because I thought that was the whole point. Just kidding. So he hears these voices just saying, like, help us, help us, basically, and he's the only one that can hear him. And the night of the dance comes and he and his friend have to go get some tape to fix one of the posters in the dance. And they get on an elevator and the elevator goes backwards instead of straight up, Um, like not even down. It goes backwards and sideways and they get transported to the gray world, which is kids from like the 40s i think where they had a picture taken of them by the photographer mr chameleon and they disappeared and have been in the gray world ever since not growing but are all black and white like there is no color in the gray world and the scary scene is when the main character and his friend are trying to escape they run outside and like the kids that are outside have turned kind of tribal kind of like um lord of the flies uh Mm-hmm. like very animalistic and they find all this black slime that I don't know where it came from it's in this pit and they were trying to push the main character into this pit they were picking up the black slime and like putting it in their mouths and like spitting it up into the air so that it would land yeah. on them and like that was the really scary part and I think it was mostly because the those kids were just acting wild and um 
just not human, even though they were human. So I wonder if maybe the reason Mr. Wood was scary was because he wasn't human, but was acting human. So like, I wonder Mm. if that's a common trope in Goosebumps to kind of swap the the humans with the non-humans. Well, he definitely used that trope in um, The Headless Ghost, but you didn't find out about it until the end. Um, So there's a haunted house. If we're doing spoilers, I don't know if you guys care. There's a haunted house in this town. Just keep it Um, not too spooky for me. (laughs) So there's a haunted house called Hill House, and the two main characters love to go there and take the tour. Um, And one of the stories that they tell is about the the little boy... um, 13 year old boy that got his head taken off by the original ghost of the house um, which was an old sea captain and basically the little boy Andrew was like walking around trying to find the uh the, the sea captain's ghost because he didn't really believe in it um, and he finally he finds him and the ghost is like well you can't leave now you've seen me and he just keeps saying that to him as he's approaching him Sorry, Megan. And he takes his head off and hides it somewhere in the house. So now Andrew is haunting the house, um, looking for his head. And so the the two main characters, uh, Dwayne and Stephanie, have taken it upon themselves to try and go find the head because they want to see a real ghost. And a bunch of other stuff happens. And basically, they, they do end up finding the head of the ghost. And he he comes and gets it. And he thanks the two kids for for finding it because now he's like he like can go about his business and and be free um and Dwayne and Stephanie get so scared that they decide they're not going to haunt the town anymore they're not going to um go visit Hill House make the tours anymore a few months later they are walking past the Hill House house again and they look up and they see like the tour guide and another person that worked at the house looking down the window at them and they wave and um, a police officer comes behind them. And he's like, what are you guys doing? And they're like, well, oh, we were going to go visit Hill House. And he was like, why? It's like, oh, we're going to take the tour. The officer is like, there is no tour. They've been closed for months. And they look up and they see. Oh, I'm getting goosebumps making. I'm sorry. They look up and see the tour guide that used to do it. And he is see-through <laughs> so it was ghosts running the haunted house the whole time <laughs> <laughs> but they were nice ghosts they were yeah I- i'm surprised that they didn't that it, the story didn't go that they saved the little boy but then turned mm-hmm. around and ran into the ghost that originally stole the little boy's head yeah um and i will say i watched the episode of Goosebumps for the Haunted, the the Headless Ghost, and they changed the story significantly. Like it still made sense the way they did it, um, but that's not how that's not what happened in the episode. As often happens. Yeah, with this was this was a proper yeah, this was a proper ghost story. Nice. So that kind of leads me to the next question. Um in in his autobiography, Arl Stein wrote that he decided he wanted to have a surprise at the end of every book, and then he decided it would be even more fun to have a surprise at the end of every chapter. What were your guys' thoughts on this? Because it seems like, Julia, yours ended on a... Would you say yours ended on a cliffhanger? I guess yours kind of tied it together. Yeah, mine kind of um, 
finished. Mm-hmm. Um, but there were definitely he definitely used like cliffhangers throughout the book. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say I definitely I remember reading Goosebumps as a kid and thinking, okay, I'll just read one more chapter, and then thinking, oh well, I got I have to see. I have to see what happened. Like I had already started reading the first sentence on the next page um, because I needed to know. Mm-hmm. Not because I was ever worried that the characters would ever die. And I do wonder, like, are there any books in which the the main characters actually do come into actual harm and aren't okay by the end of the book? I don't know. If you read Probably the article not. that Megan sent, they ask him that question and he actually says no one ever dies in these books. People may already be dead, right? But. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah, because it's it's for it's still for children, and he he was trying to blend together humor with spookiness, but also mm-hmm. like the knowledge that it's always going to be a happy ending. Um, and I don't know if you were about to say this, Megan, but there's a he also talks about um, some. He wrote one book where it wasn't a happy ending, and he got all kinds of criticism flack. fan mail for, yeah like flack for it so he never did it again he's like all right and it needs to be some sort of a happy ending um at the end for for all of the stories so so yeah he consciously doesn't kill anyone off in these books gotcha um to go back to julia's point when you were a young reader and you got to the end of a chapter and you're like well i have to see what happens next i think that is an absolutely fantastic tactic for young readers to read mm-hmm. However, as an adult reading these, and I know these books aren't necessarily meant for me anymore. I'm in my 30s. um, I found it really overused, uh, especially because (laughs) each cliffhanger that I had, it was like as soon as the very next sentence was like, oh, well, this isn't a problem. Um, (laughs) Oh, yeah. No, he definitely did that in this one, too. Yeah. And it it, like he ended one chapter. Yeah, he ended a chapter, and a huge hairy animal jumped me from behind and chewed off my head. That's the end of the chapter. And then the next chapter, the next chapter begins. Well, it didn't really chew off my head. So yeah, no, he always was had that, to. Was that a verbatim you know. from your book, or you just made that up? That was a verbatim. <laughs> yeah. Um, just kidding. So yeah, like like you said, Megan, these weren't written for thirty year olds. Um, but I tried to go into reading this book trying to remember like how I felt as a fourth grader reading it, mm-hmm. and it it worked real well on me. Good. Uh, something else that I like about this for young readers is I feel like they can the books can also be a great um, like exemplar for young writers too because the the stories are so simple and there's not a whole lot of like in mine at least like they solved the problem. Like, they were able to escape because they felt like if they drew on the wall, a door would appear. But there was no, like, we have this lore that if you have the right (laughs) item, this will have... And it was like, there was no explanation as to why the main character was the one that could hear the voices and no one else could. Whereas, like, a book for an adult, like, you have... Everything is, like, tied together rather than just a a story that a child makes. Like, it's like they invent as they go, right? Right. Um, so yeah. I feel like these books are a great gateway for young readers to also try their hand at writing and use them as examples. That's a really great point. It's it's more, uh, you know, left to the imagination and, and kids have such wild, wild imaginations mm-hmm. that, you know, it, it would just make sense to them that, yeah, I would have, you know, I would just try this or 
something that they might do as they're playing make believe, you know. Mm-hmm. That's a great point. And I, I do want to say too, like I thought the quality of writing was actually pretty good. Um, because sometimes I can go back and read or try to read like a popular kid series and like, <laughs> <laughs> um, nobody should be reading this, but, but because of the like emerging nobody but emerging readers should be reading this i guess i should say mm-hmm. um because sometimes you need things to be predictable and easy um when you're just starting out yeah definitely because yeah, that's like yeah. storylines like megan said yeah and that that's something that young readers are learning and they're training themselves is to have like this is something mm-hmm. that advanced readers do without realizing is they have conversations mm-hmm. with themselves in their head and they think about ooh, what do i think is going to happen next Ooh, how do i react to this happening to this character it's a lot easier for young readers when the story is predictable and they can say oh i think this is going to happen next and then that yep. is what happens like it's encouraging to mm-hmm. them to want to keep reading them yeah but yeah no i thought i thought i thought it was well written for what it is yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. Katie, I feel like you had a few points in the back that uh, I steamrolled over you, just like the steamroller steamrolled Mr. Wood. Mr. Wood. Did you have anything <laughs> you wanted to add in? Um, I don't think so. I mean, I because I'm a professional podcaster, I did not read the question <laughs> about... Um, you know, a cliffhanger at the end of each chapter. So I'm I'm trying to remember if that happened in in each chapter. I don't think I think it did, but I wasn't consciously thinking about how it, you know, how effective it was. It reminded me a bit of another series that does this uh, exceedingly well is The Hunger Games. It's like every chapter ends on you know it's it just like continually propels you forward. Mm-hmm. You know, like Julia said, it's you, you say you're just going to read one more chapter, but then something. You, you have to just keep going. Um, and I will say, even though, you know, I was reading this and I, I totally agree, like it was, I appreciated it for what it was. It was nostalgic. Um, I, I was also recognizing that this is, you know, not my lane anymore. <laughs> um, not super enjoyable in for a lot of ways, just because it's not, you know, it's, it's a different reading level than, than what I'm at now. Um, but at the end, when all of a sudden Slappy comes to life, I was like, Oh, do I want to read the next one? (laughs) (laughs) You do. You do. (laughs) I might just have to. Um, But yeah, I think that was the only thing I was I was kind of wanting to contribute to was to that question. Oh, with that said, um, would you recommend this to a kid? Like I would this one specifically, but the series. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it depends on the kid totally. But exactly. Yeah, exactly. I think they stand out. There's a there's a reason they're still in print. I'm actually shocked that these books aren't so i teach read 180 which is a class um for students who are at least three to four grades below grade level in their reading level and um with that there's like i get uh they give me like several boxes of books that are geared towards those readers specifically to get them reading and also at various reading levels to meet them where they are and then there's also an online library for them. And things like uh, Captain Underpants is in there, and that's a big popular one. Drama by Raina Telgemeier is in there. It's a big popular one. I am actually, after reading this, I'm shocked that there are no Goosebumps in there. Um, and mm-hmm. I might actually supplement my library and add some in specifically for my Read 180 class because 
I think some of them would probably would like it. I think some of them might look at it and be like, that's what we read in elementary school. I'm too old for that now. But I think that the level that it's written at and the, just the, the engaging storylines, I think, would be great for them. Yeah. This was a productive episode. Yeah. Did anybody have any other lingering thoughts or anything they wanted to add in? When I pitched this idea to you guys, I had it in the back of my head that, I, oh, this will be great. I'll like go find all of our old Goosebumps books. The only one I could find was the one I wanted, which yay me, but I have no <laughs> idea where our Goosebumps books Slappy are. Slappy took them. <gasps> I think it was oh. Mr. Wood. Oh. Slappy, Slappy would have left them for me. <laughs> <laughs> so hopefully they turn up because we had some good ones yeah mm-hmm. i'm sure they're in the back of a closet somewhere i know katie katie is sitting in the room where all of our books in this house are <laughs> held she's a little horrified but yeah I where i thought they were yeah everything needs to be gone through and dished out and just like a working there. library you need to weed it mm-hmm. yeah yeah sorry (laughs) alright any other thoughts on Goosebumps love it it was fun it was fun it was a lot of fun I agree thank you R.L. Stein and if you are interested in R.L. Stein I'm gonna plug an episode of the um, Malton on Movies uh, podcast in which they sit down and for a whole hour and talk to R.L. Stein it was it was fascinating very cool is he as dry and sarcastic as he was in the interview that I sent you guys (laughs) I kind yes. of love that yeah. about him. Actually, he's <laughs> he's completely unpretentious. And he's like, yeah. Yeah, he he doesn't take his work. It's not it's, I don't think it's that it, he doesn't take it seriously. He just doesn't take himself too seriously. And like honestly, he kind of he kind of stumbled into this. I don't remember the story completely, but there was another writer writing like a a similar type of series for I guess Scholastic maybe. And for some reason, they either needed somebody to fill in or they were starting a new series. And his editor was like, do you think you can do this? He was like, probably. <laughs> Look, I'll now where we well. are. <laughs> 30 years later. <laughs> still popular. Good job, dude. Kids still love it. Yeah. I also do want to mention, because we were talking about the show, um, the the original Goosebumps show from the 90s is streaming on Netflix currently, yes. if you're interested. It's uh, and then there's the, the, produ- the new trilogy too. Yeah, I have not watched that at all. Have either of you? Mm-mm. I haven't. I haven't even read a Fear Street book because he does Maybe talk that's about what we that can do for Halloween next year. Yeah, Mm-mm. well, he does talk about that on Malton on movies, and it is it is scary. Like he wrote them to be scary. I yeah. think people. I think people do actually die in those. That's something he said in the art in the the article that I sent you. Yeah. I'm a professional podcaster and totally read that article. <laughs> well, I mean, she just sent it this morning. I did. So. It's okay. <laughs> oh, I then I let myself off the hook. I didn't check my email. I texted, texted it. it to us. <laughs> I didn't read all of our texts. <laughs> Jeez Louise. <laughs> I just saw your sourdough pumpkin and that was it. <laughs> yep. It's completely enthralled by that. That was a different text chain, but you're you're forgiven. <laughs> it's all right. It is all right. Well, thank you guys so much for that conversation. I had a lot of fun. I didn't get too scared, which is another trademark of his Goosebump series. Is it it's scary, but not scare your pants off scary. 
usually. Um, so thank you guys. <laughs> you should read mine, Megan. I'd be interested to know. I'd be interested. Maybe. Um, so thank you guys. And thank you, R.L. Stein, for your contribution to young literature. It's you touched your many continuing readers. Continuing contribution. Yeah. Yeah. Touched many readers. Including us. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you guys again uh, for such a fun conversation. Coming up at the end of the month. Yes, you heard me right. The end of this month, we will have a special Halloween treat coming for you. Uh, if you remember what soup from a sausage skewer is and you enjoyed that, it will be very much a treat for you. Um, and it will be in conjunction with the Doom Buggies podcast, which Julia is also a host on along with our friend Jeff Bam. Uh, so it's going to be a lot of fun. Make sure you stay tuned. And if you haven't already subscribed, subscribe so you don't miss it. Mwahaha. <laughs> All right. Until next time, read, share, and repeat. Bye. 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 That brings us to a close on this chapter of Sibling Library. Thank you for listening. Until next time, let's read, share, and repeat. <laughs>